Hello and welcome to the final journalism.co.uk podcast episode from 2017. I'm Catalina Albanu, international editor at journalism.co.uk, and for the next 15 minutes or so, you'll hear more about some of the team's favorite stories from this year. In this episode, the Journalism.co.uk editorial team, Modelina Chobanu, Caroline Scott and myself, outline standout stories from this year, picking out some general themes that have popped up in the reporting. You'll hear about collaborative journalism projects, efforts to get reporters outside of newsrooms in the main urban areas, virtual reality and mobile journalism. So let's get started. Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for the last 2017 episode of the Journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm Andalina Chobanu, the senior reporter at Journalism.co.uk. There have definitely been some trends in my coverage this year, including collaboration, community building and approaches to membership. So here are my five favorite stories from 2017. First of all, at the International Journalism Festival in Perugia in April, I wrote about the role of memes in shaping misinformation in online and offline conversations. For most of us, memes are funny images and inside jokes we share with our friends, but at a time when journalists are still fighting the crucial battle against myths and disinformation, memes are more than that. They reflect cultural undercurrents, as Anxia Omina, who leads the product team at Medan, points out in the piece, and it is part of our role as reporters to understand the context in which our audiences are using these images and apply that to how we cover the issues the memes have originated from. This year I have also written quite a bit about collaboration, so much so that my editor joked about changing my job title to just Collaborations Reporter. The story that prompted my interest in the topic was an interview I did in June with Tim Griggs. Tim, who is a consultant and media advisor, had just published a study with the Centre for Cooperative Media at Montclair State University about how to make partnerships between local and national news outlets work in the US. He outlined some of the reasons why organisations should collaborate and how to go about starting the process. Tim said, I've always been a big believer that when 1 plus 1 equals more than 2, you have something really powerful. We can often do more together than we can do on our own. Third and fourth on my list are two recent articles that tie into each other about memberships in news and working with the communities we serve. In November, I had the pleasure of speaking to Emily Goligoski, Research Director for the Membership Puzzle Project, a joint research initiative between NYU's Studio 20 program and Dutch news organization The Correspondent. Emily spoke about what supporters of news organizations have in common when they pay and what they expect in return. One thing she said that stuck with me, other than the importance of co-designing membership programs with your audience, is that news outlets should have a sense of humility. What does that mean in practice? It means realizing that the relationship you have with readers is based on knowledge sharing. And admit when something hasn't turned out quite as you expected, or when you have failed, and ask people to stick with you and help you make it better. One of the organizations the Membership Puzzle Project has been researching is City Bureau, a Chicago-based nonprofit I also wrote about in September. Their aim is to redefine what local media means by working with communities in Chicago's Southside area to democratize journalism skills and encourage civic participation. The most interesting part of their approach includes a program called Documenters, which consists of training members of the public in interviewing, recording or freedom of information and paying them to document public meetings and events around the city. I am less interested in City Bureau forcing the mayor to resign than I am in empowering communities to figure out what they want from that mayor," editorial director Daryl Holiday told me. And last but not least on my list is a piece I wrote at the beginning of 2017, which I hope will serve as inspiration again for some of you as we enter 2018. 
It's called Three Reasons Why You Should Consider Having a Journalism Side Project, both as part of your current job and outside of it. Check it out if you are thinking of starting a newsletter, a podcast, or any other project that would enable you to learn or practice a certain skill, or even to fuel your creativity at work. We'll be back with another episode in the new year, and I'd love to hear from you in the meantime if you want to share your favorite stories, or if you've got suggestions of topics we should explore in 2018. Hello everyone, I'm Caroline Scott, the video features editor here at journalism.co.uk. For those of you that don't know me, I focus on producing video content for the site, but I'm also here to be on the lookout for exciting video projects that news organisations are undertaking around the world. And 2017 has certainly delivered. This year has been absolutely full of digital innovation, and I'll be running you through a few of the stories that I've been reporting on over the next few minutes. So let's get cracking. First up, if we go right back to the start of the year, Time had only just started its year-long multimedia project, documenting the lives of Syrian refugee mothers and their babies in print, online and on social media. The project, which was supported by a grant from the Pulitzer Centre on Crisis Reporting, was called Finding Home, and it launched on the 19th of December 2016, when three women prepared to give birth. It's just finished this month as the babies have turned one year old and the reporters that worked on it have built up an incredible relationship with these women and have intimately followed the challenges faced by the families as they raise children born in refugee camps. Aaron Baker, Times Africa Bureau Chief, told journalism.co.uk how the coverage through videos, long-form articles, social media posts and photo essays allowed people to get a closer insight into the story, following the characters as if they were a friend. You push hard, push. People's eyes tend to glaze over when they hear the number of refugees coming into Europe, the European refugee crisis, what's going on. It's really hard to break through and make sure readers or viewers are really invested in the issue. And we thought the only way to really get through that sort of the numbers is to create a personal story that people could relate to. I don't think any one of us had that idea in the beginning. It was just sort of like, how do we tell a story that will make people pay attention? Head over to our website to hear our podcast with the production team from Time and have a look at the project in full on time.com. Now this year we also saw the rise of live streaming, with so many news organisations giving it a go and seeing how they could use it to better connect with audiences on social. Hey guys, we are live from Now This Studios and we're going to give a live cupping demonstration today. I'm so excited. So meet Sonia, my personal acupuncturist and our victim or... I don't know what else. Our patient. Our patient. patient. <laughs> Another producer, Judah. So, I mean, take it away, Sonia. Let's go through it and do the demo. Hi, Judah. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So you that was a clip from media organization Now This, who hold regularly scheduled shows on Facebook, where they can recap the week's news for those that have missed it. Facebook Live, as you'll be aware, has been around since August 2015 to some high-profile users. But this year, in 2017, we've seen everything from highly produced Facebook Live TV shows from publishers such as CBC Calgary and BuzzFeed to daily short, snappy and unplanned live streams. The Hindustan Times, actually, have been building up so many of these out-in-the-field, raw and spontaneous videos that we spoke to Yusuf Omar, the mobile editor at The Publisher, who is seeing incredible results with the tool. 
He told me in a podcast that the mobile newsroom is constantly finding new ways to develop its practices and has even established 10 core elements it believes form the perfect live stream. These include creating suspense, being creative, changing the format, scheduling live streams where necessary and adding text to add value for audiences watching on social news feeds. People think that you need presenters or you need certain talent to be Facebook Live talent. They're in your entire newsroom. There's so many interesting characters. It's just about empowering them and telling them that you can do this. And the social media actually values real, raw, organic experiences. Reality is the new quality. People want real faces that they can relate to. It's about empowering people to make that decision and to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to hit the red button. I'm going to go live. I think this is interesting. We've given some 40 reporters now have got access to the face, Hindustan Times Facebook account uh, and they can publish whenever they like and they can go live whenever they like. And that scares a lot of legacy organizations. Uh, they, 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 they really are worried about their brand and their reputation when in actuality in 2017 there's no space uh, in the social media landscape for control freaks. Next up on my list is virtual reality and 360 degree video. And I'm so excited about this because it's successfully arrived in newsrooms as a great way for publishers to engage audiences in a new way. There's been loads of projects produced in 2017 from university students at USC Annenberg to publishers like Al Jazeera and the BBC. This immersive way of storytelling has seen The Guardian show viewers what it's like to be in solitary confinement, how asylum seekers feel in the UK, and why parental interaction with a baby is so crucial in its first six months of life. The Guardian has an in-house VR team, headed up by Francesca Panetta. We've made a range of pieces now in The Guardian VR studio, um, and we've used a really wide variety of techniques from LiDAR scanning to CGI to filming to illustrating and tilt brush and each time you learn an enormous amount. Um, I don't think there's one technique that is, is better than others um, and I think we've been really lucky to be able to kind of throw our nets really wide and, and experiment. We at journalism.co.uk are really looking forward to seeing what the big trends will be next year and the stories that we'll be reporting on. I personally am excited to see the advancements in mobile journalism because we all know the smartphones in our pockets are capable of astonishing things nowadays, enabling reporters to shoot, edit and publish content right out in the field. Check out our website to hear about the documentaries and TV reports that have been made on a smartphone, as well as the content made on mobile for mobile audiences. There have been tons of apps that we've written about and tools that can help you on the go, so go and have a browse and see if there's some that might help you in the newsroom. Anyway, all that's left for me to say is have a Merry Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. And I'm back. This year, I embarked on a six-month pop-up journalism.co.uk project, working remotely from a few cities in Europe and meeting journalists and media organisations based in each town I visited in order to get a better idea of the media landscape outside of the UK. We've noticed more people from European countries were engaging with our stories and events in the past few years, so I felt it was important to get to know our new community better and to find out how best to represent them with stories, training and knowledge sharing. So most of my top five stories from 2017 will come from the journalism.co.uk mobile bureau. First, I visited France just before their general election early this year, and I popped into the newsroom of Le Monde to find out more about their plans to cover an election in a period of time that has been full of surprises both in Europe with the EU referendum 
and in the United States. Le Monde, with their Francaise Francaise project, learned from others' experiences. Its reporters visited 80 cities in France, speaking to the public about their concerns without necessarily asking them who they were planning to vote for, but rather focusing on the challenges they faced in their day-to-day lives. In Sweden, I visited the newsroom of Swedish tabloid Expressen and spoke to Bella Levy, head of Expressen TV, the online video channel from the news brand, about its video growth. One thing that stood out to me in the Expressen newsroom were the analytics that were monitored, including the number of men and women featured in the news stories that were covered in order to strike a gender balance in the title's journalism. Also in Sweden, Blankspot is a media organization that covers underreported stories with an emphasis on promoting trust and media literacy. I spoke to the team to find out more about their approach to foreign reporting and their relationship to its audience, which helps sustain the publication through contributing to crowdfunding campaigns. One key aspect of their style of journalism is the creation of story-specific Facebook groups, where reporters keep interested members of the public up to date throughout the reporting process and can follow up on suggestions from readers. I also visited Norway and spent some time with NRK, the national broadcaster, visiting the team that produces news for children. The program is called Superni. Their key platforms are Snapchat, Instagram and the mobile app where they monitor the comments from children and engage them into reports. The aim of the team is to explain the world to the kids and reduce fear when covering difficult subjects such as terrorism or politics, Frank Sivertson, chief of staff at NRK Superneat, told me during the visit. Finally, I want to highlight the mobile journalism efforts at CBC in Canada, where filming with smartphones offers reporters a chance to access communities that would otherwise be closed to traditional TV cameras. This enables CBC to tell stories from the Arctic and subarctic regions of the country, but the temperatures in that area make working with mobile journalism difficult. Check journalism.co.uk to find out how reporters plan for these trips and how the iPhone handles filming in cold weather of around minus 30 degrees Celsius. That's all from us today, but stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast starting back up in 2018. And before you go, a quick reminder that we are currently working on our next News Rewired digital journalism event, taking place on the 7th of March in London. We currently have an early bird discount for tickets, so head over to newsrewired.com for details. Thanks for listening. We wish you happy holidays and a great new year.